0: You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. We're going to be wrapping up our series. We've been talking about eyes to see and ears to hear. You'll find that, uh, that call, that clarion call, all throughout the New Testament. And what Jesus was talking about is not our natural hearing or our natural uh, eyesight, because if that were the case, then Jesus would have simply laid hands on them and their sight would have been restored or their hearing would have been restored, but rather he was speaking of something beyond the natural. He was speaking into the spiritual realm, which is a very real part of our everyday lives that often we put on blinders and almost try to numb ourselves from the reality that there is a spiritual realm at play behind us. And so Jesus is calling us to have his eyes to be able to see the world and his ears to be able to hear the cries that are all around us. And of course, we are closing in on that fast. Hallelujah. I just want to give you a high five from here. Whether you jumped in at the very beginning or jumped in at the very end, whether you fell off or got back on, it does not matter. We committed to consecrate the beginning of this year by seeking the Lord and for those of you that may be joining us for the very first time you ask what is a fast um, a fast is where we abstain from food we kind of uh, change our natural appetite and awaken our spiritual appetite it's not a it's not a hunger strike it's not a way of twisting God's arm to answer our prayers It's not even trying to rope God in to align himself with us and our vision but rather the opposite it aligns us, with his heart, and with his vision. And it's always interesting to me, whenever you start a fast, and there were some that fasted social media, there were some that fasted um, sports or whatever was a a big time consumer because in the day when they had dinner, the Hebrews, it would be like a three to four hour deal. They'd be reclining at the table. They didn't eat like we do as Americans in 25 minutes through a drive-through. And so they would commit this time to seeking the Lord. And so if the purpose of a fast is simply to abstain from food, well, we could easily call that a diet, but that isn't the purpose. The purpose is to seek after God, to pursue God, to make sure that we're spending time with God in his word, in worship, in service, and in prayer, which is a way for us to be able to communicate with God. So I am believing and trusting that the Lord has deposited something in each and every single one of your hearts. And that's what we're actually going to talk about today, is we're going to be talking about momentum. But before I go into that, I want to share something that's actually pretty extraordinary. Um, Well, let me just do this. I I want to highlight that we are starting small groups the next week. And so if you've been coming to the Pine Church for a while, if you're interested in what it looks like to host a small group, we're having a training, a leadership training on Wednesday night. And I would highly encourage you to do it. You know, the... Sunday morning experience can't be the culmination of our Christian walk. You know, the Bible says that when the apostles dedicated themselves to the studying of God's word, that's what we're doing today, prayer, that's what we just did and will continue to do, and the breaking of bread, God multiplied into their number. And that's one of the places that I see in a lot of churches where the, uh, the disconnect happens. It's very easy to walk into a Bible study that lasts approximately an hour or an hour and a half or to walk into a service that's an hour or an hour and a half. But to give up maybe three hours or four hours of your time to break bread with somebody where you're kind of rubbing up against them, that seems to be difficult because contrary to popular belief, money isn't the greatest currency, it's time. Because whether you're rich or poor, you only have so much of it, right? So time is actually the greatest currency. And often we can become stingy, (laughs) right? Scrooge with our time, and we'll look for any other opportunity. Like I'd rather you know, double down on the amount of money that I give than give my time. But really, Jesus modeled this better than anyone where he laid his life down to spend time with people. In fact, can I say this? When the Bible records that there is no greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's brother, most of us, especially as Americans, go to the apex of the meaning of that scripture. And we think of, you know, a private jumping on a grenade to save his platoon. It typically comes out around Memorial Day or Veterans Day, and rightfully so. But sometimes I think there's a danger in that of absolving ourselves from its everyday application, right? Right? So in other words, if we can say that that scripture is assigned and tied to jumping on a grenade, then we don't really have to wrestle with it in our day-to-day walk at work, with our family, at Thanksgiving, and rather what I think it means is that we give of our time to those that are in need around us. And there is no greater love than that, than to give of our time for those that need it. And so... That's one of the ways that by emptying ourselves, we can give ourselves. But before I go into any of that, I wanted to, so we can do that through small groups. That was my big tie-in, okay? Um, this, the Lord put this scripture on my heart, and I just kept thinking about when Jesus started his ministry, and he came across John the Baptist In the wilderness. And I couldn't stop thinking about this. I knew we were talking about momentum. I had, you know, studied and researched scriptures on momentum. I had some amazing quotes, but I couldn't stop thinking about this interaction with Jesus and John the Baptist. And then I I witnessed, you know, what uh, Marcel came up here and stepped over his fear uh, to lead us in worship. And then even what Jake shared. And I just thought, man, this is the Holy Spirit confirming that there are people in this congregation today that need to hear this word. So I'm going to share this scripture with you that has absolutely nothing to do with the text of what we're going to be studying today because I'm not gonna be so rigid that I'm gonna preach what you know I have already studied for. I'm gonna be flexible enough when the Holy Spirit deposits something in my heart because there is something that somebody needs to hear in this room. So if that doesn't wake you up, Smash your Starbucks, smash your five-hour energy, because this word is for you. Now, Jesus walks into the wilderness. He comes against John the Baptist. He's baptizing people. And the Bible records in Matthew 3.17, And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. What an amazing way for a father to intersect into mankind and speak these words over his son. And this is what I wanted to highlight. Before Jesus ever performed a miracle, before Jesus ever opened one blind eye or one deaf ear or turned a few fish into thousands of fish, the father spoke these words over his son. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. The father, it was important to the father to show his son that he had his attention. Before he ever did anything, the father wanted his son to know you have my attention. And there are some of you in here today that don't feel like you're on God's radar. that don't feel like you're under the supervision of God Almighty. But I am here to remind you You have your father's attention. His gaze is fixed on you. In fact, you will never navigate anything in this life alone. The choice that each and every single one of us have to make is will we acknowledge that God is standing next to us because he promises he will never leave nor forsake us. You have his attention. Number two. The father was adamant in showing his son. I mean, he had his attention, that he had his affection. This is, my, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The father's pleasure wasn't predicated on his behavior or his righteous works. Because he hadn't stepped into any of them. But it was on the simple fact that this was his son. And this is the way that the Father cares and loves each and every single one of you. Yes, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which the Father prepared beforehand. But that is not a way of us earning or striving or hustling our way towards his love. He loves us already. And there are some of you in this room that struggle with that thought. You think, if I clean myself up just enough, then I can earn the Father's love. And that is not how it works. The Pharisees began to preach that false gospel. And Jesus was harder on the Pharisees than he was on anyone else. And thirdly, the Father was giving him this affirmation. So Jesus, the Son, had his attention, had his affection, and had his Affirmation. Prayer is not a monologue. It is not where we lock ourselves in a closet and run through a laundry list of all the things that we're believing for or all the things that are wrong with our life and then shut the door and go about our day merrily. It is a dialogue, which means there is a time for us to go through a list of all the things that are going wrong and all the things that we're believing for. But then this stops. And this opens up and we listen, meaning that God desires to speak to you. But most of us are in a rhythm of just talking and we, we, have a, we struggle with quieting ourselves to listen to the Lord. But God wants to speak to you because he penned every moment of your life before a single day has passed. He wrote out your whole life. And there's nobody more passionate about you walking in that than God because he wrote it. And so he wants to share these things with you. But in a society where everything is vying for our attention constantly, we must be vigilant and disciplined to get alone, to get away, to spend time with God. Because can I just tell you this? If you have your phone, you are not alone. Okay, because even if you go into a room and you got your phone in your pocket, it's vibrating or it's phantom ringing because you've held it so many times. Anybody ever experienced that? Oh, let me check my phone. Oh, it didn't actually go off. And you're just like, you're like this crack addict that's constantly touching the phone. So it's best just to put this in the other room. But again, to, to put a big bow on this, the father loves you. He believes in you. He's for you. He wants to spend time with you. And he wants to speak with you. And if you would just take a step towards him, I promise you, he will take a step towards you. Because the world needs it. The world is hurting. And they need us to shine. They need us to point people to God. So there's that. That is for you. That is worth your price of admission. I said that once before, and somebody said, it doesn't cost anything to get here. And I'm like, yeah, I know, it's a lame joke, but okay. <laughs> All right. So we've been talking about the importance of opening our eyes and having ears to hear. And the Bible talks about in Proverbs 18 that our heart has eyes. Open the eyes of my heart. That's not just a song from the 1990s. That's actually a scripture in the Bible that our eyes, that our heart has a spiritual eyes. It sees things that the eyes can't actually See, and the way for us to be able to develop those spiritual eyes is by spending time with God, by spending time in the Word and spending time with God in prayer, in worship, and in service. And there's a danger and a pitfall to just spending time in the Word. You can get dry, you can get religious, you can get critical, you can get condemning, and before you know it, you've drifted away, right? And so, yes, we need to spend time in the word, but we also need to spend time with God. And then there's a danger of just spending time with God and never reading your Bible. You start to chase experiences. You start to chase like these sugar highs, so to speak, spiritual sugar highs, and then you get into some weird and wacky places. And so we need to spend time in the word and we need the Holy Spirit to open up the word to us. So it's both, it's not either or. So we need both these things because Paul actually warns us that there are going to be people that preach a knockoff gospel and preach a knockoff Jesus. And we shared that funny video and we all had a lot of laughs. But the, the reality is that that's happening every day in front of us. There are people that are coming up on your feed that are preaching a different gospel and that are preaching a different Jesus. You are seeing it every single day. And so the Bible warns that there's going to come a time towards the end, and I certainly believe that we're approaching that time line, where even the elect can be deceived. No one believes that they can be deceived, and that is the problem with deception, because a person believes with all their heart they're right, and in reality, they're wrong. So we can't be foolish and flippant about Paul's warnings to be vigilant and alert that we don't fall under deception. And so the way that we safeguard our lives to make sure that we're not following a knockoff Jesus, to make sure that we're not reading a knockoff gospel is by spending time in the word. So when somebody misspeaks or when somebody comes to you with scripture, but it doesn't align with your spirit and you study the word and you find that it's false, you can, you can make sure that you don't fall into those traps. Because remember, the Bible tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Doesn't say he might, doesn't say he could, it says that he does. And so whatever image you have of Satan with the little horns and the pitchfork and the, and the little tail, you need to trash that because Satan comes as an angel of light. In fact, can I say it like this? Satan is a 10, as the kids say, you know, like that person's a seven, that person's a eight, you know. Satan is a ten. Satan is good looking. And Satan knows scripture extremely well, possibly better than any one of us in this room. And he knows how to manipulate it. And this is his plan and his strategy and his tactic. We see it in the garden And we see it when Jesus is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. So we must know the word of God so that we are on guard, that we don't fall under these false things. Because the Bible says that even the elect can be deceived. So we must heed this counsel. If Satan comes like an angel of light, it shows us that not all that glitters is gold. Led Zeppelin, right? You can get a little something from everything. So we have to be vigilant and we can't trust our natural eyes because it may look good on the outside. It may feel good. Remember Eve ate, when the Eve saw that the tree was good for eating, she tasted and ate. Eve was not attracted to the evil side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She was attracted to the good side. So when you fall into deception, you don't, it's not always that someone's lining up cocaine and heroin for you and you slip into that. It actually looks good. And so you've deceived into coming under this false gospel. And so we must be in the word of God. And that's what we've done at the beginning of this year. We've consecrated ourselves. We've abstained from things that are taking up time and space in our lives. And we've abstained from things that our body actually needs to show our flesh that you are not in control. That yes, I have natural appetites and things that I need to survive. But ultimately there is a bread that is made available to me, that supersedes that, that comes from the Father. And so what I want to talk to you about over the next few minutes is not losing the momentum that we've gained in these 21 days at the beginning of the year. And to kick it off, I'm going to share a quote from Craig P. Lonsborough, and it says this, If the road behind me is not growing ever longer... Then it is likely that the feet underneath me are not moving any longer. And if my feet are not moving, I have somehow, somewhere traded this most glorious journey for lesser endeavor. It's interesting to me that all throughout Scripture, you know, it talks about this walk that we have with the Lord. You know, narrow is the road that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Wide is the road that leads to hell, and there are many who travel it. And so we have this walk. We're walking through this life. We have been called to be salt and light. This idea of buying a bunch of gasoline and guns and running up to the mountains is not part of Scripture, (laughs) I'm sorry, it is not. We have been called to be salt and light to preserve. We don't run away from calamity. We are protected from calamity. And then the world sees this protection that is on our lives, which gives us the platform and the opportunity to share about the love and the protection and the provision and the faithfulness of our Father. So if you think that we're going to run from the trials and tribulations of this world, think again, because Jesus promised, if you follow me, you are going to suffer these things. Nowhere throughout all of scripture does God promise us comfort. But you know what? He does one better. He promises us a comforter who's never going to leave, who's never going to be too tired to take our calls, so to speak. He's always going to be there. To walk alongside us. So how do we maintain what we've gained over these 21 days? How do we make sure that we're not losing ground? That we don't go swinging the pendulum right back to the place that we were before. So instead of reading our Bible for an hour a day, we go back to the five minutes. Or we go back to reading the verse of the day sitting on the toilet, right? We got to make sure that we don't lose this time. My kids, on, at, at, uh, this morning, they were like, they fasted uh, sweets. And so we were talking about having, you know, a meal or uh, some sweets, brownies. And then they asked for ice cream. We're like, sure. And they're like, then they asked, can we have uh, sprinkles? I'm like, good Lord. Like, when's it going to stop? Like, how many more things can you throw on this? You want me to just dump a bag of sugar on top of it? And John was like, Dad, we've suffered over this fast. And Dominic was like, yeah, like my friend offered me peanut butter cups. And I said, no. And and then that just, they all started like snowball. And Raquel was like, yeah, and I had a Pop-Tart and I couldn't have it. My friend wanted me to have it. I'm like, okay, man, you guys, you're going to be okay. (laughs) But we need to make sure that we're not um, jumping into this. So momentum, I want to talk about momentum. Let's define that word. Momentum is defined as this, the quantity of motion of a moving body measured as a product of its mass and velocity, okay, going a little science. I believe in science, right? Okay, we're going to give a little science to the science-believing people, which I believe in science too. But a paraphrase of Newton's first law of motion, and this is all going to make sense. It's going to sound a little technical, but it's going to tie into it. Quotes, Quotes this, "...unless acted upon by a force, an object at rest will stay at rest, and an object in motion will stay in motion." In other words, unless someone or something does something to change things, something that is stationary will stay that way, and something that is moving will keep going. And I think the temptation, especially after coming out of something like a 21-day fast, you're almost in this like spiritual cocoon, this spiritual bubble. And then you're being reintroduced to the world is to go right back to all your same old habits, right back to all your same time patterns and slip into the lethargy of the way things were instead of where you were going. And so we need to make sure that we don't lose ground. Now, I want to make sure that you hear this. What I'm not saying is that you can't have fried chicken after service today because Lord knows that's exactly what I'm going to go, go do, okay? I'm not saying that you can't go watch, you know, the latest show on Netflix, but what I am telling you is don't slip back into a place where every single night you're consuming Netflix for two to three hours, because you're gonna go right back into that spiritual burnout. You're gonna go right back into that dry place. You're gonna go right back into that place of depression, anxiety, fear, and worry. And so we must readjust, right, back to this new level of, of pattern of moving so that we don't lose our momentum. In fact, I think it's wise that you reward yourself. One of the, uh, I don't follow a lot of celebrities on, on social media, but I do follow uh, The Rock. And so The Rock goes through pretty uh, strict regimens. Um, on, uh, whenever he's going out for a movie, uh, he'll go on a pretty strict diet. But then he'll have what's called the cheat meal. And anybody knows anything about The Rock, he'll post his cheat meals. And so like, I think I have a picture of it. Like this is one of his, his cheat meals is like, look at all that pizza, those cinnamon buns. Like he eats it all too. There's like four muffins there and the picture's cut off. So maybe there's even more. And he gets these pizzas, they're double dough pizzas. So they, they, you know, they make a pizza and then he goes, grab another dough and put it underneath the pizza. And so it's okay to have a cheat meal. It's okay to have a feast. It's okay to celebrate. But if he lived like that, they wouldn't call him the rock, right? (laughs) They would call him something else. So make sure that you celebrate, okay, whatever it is, but that you don't live, resort back to living like that. Um, And why is this important? Why is this important? Because the journey that we're on, and when I say journey, I don't mean just the 21-day fast, but the journey that we're on in this life is less about a destination and more about who we are becoming. I think as Christians, sometimes we obsess about being in the right place at the right time, but really we've aligned ourselves to yield to the Holy Spirit, to be obedient And as long as we've committed to that lifestyle, we will be in the right place at the right time. But the journey of fasting, the journey of studying God's word, the journey of going through this life is way more about who you're becoming than where you are going. Because who you are becoming translates into eternity. Did you know that? These spiritual principles that take root inside of our heart, when God opens up the scripture and reveals a facet, of his righteousness and glory, we take that with us to eternity. But the things that we pursue in the natural, some of which are good and are needed, a roof over our head, right? Food, snowmobile, they're all fun, but we don't, they don't translate into eternity. So the warning to us is, yes, I know that you need these things and I'm going to provide these things, but don't neglect the weightier matters. The things that affect your soul, the things that connect you with me. And so we've all taken steps towards God over these last 21 days. And I don't want anyone in this room to lose that momentum, to get swept away in the lethargy and the numbing of life. And I think a beautiful progression of the momentum of a believer is found in the life of David. And so I'm going to kind of paraphrase because we're bumping up against time. But the story of David is essentially this. Him and his brothers are just living their best life now. His brothers are absolute studs and he's the youngest and he's out watching the sheep. And Samuel, the prophet, comes to anoint a new king, and he goes through all the brothers. and And the father doesn't even send for David because he's like, "There's no way you're gonna ask for this redheaded, ruddy, good-looking kid, you know, watching the the sheep." And so Samuel goes to all of them and says, "None of these are them." And so they finally they he said, "Do you have any other sons?" And he's like, "Yeah, we got we got one, you know, but he's watching the sheep." And he says, "Call for him." And he anoints them. King, he says, this is the one. This is God's chosen. And so you have this momentous moment. You have this prophecy that's been spoken over you. You have this dream that's been recognized and, and realized. And then you know what he did after that? He went back to watching the sheep. And he's watching the sheep. And then Israel's at war. And there's this Philistine, we were just talking, Jake was just talking about David. And David, this Philistine is so large, the Bible, people say he was about nine feet tall. And he's shouting these obscenities at God. And the whole army is petrified. They're hiding behind rocks. And the father says, hey, your brothers are getting hungry. I want you to go deliver this cheese to them. So here's David doing the the least sexy thing in scripture that you could possibly do I've been anointed king, but I don't get to go to the war. I have to watch the sheep. And then dad's asking me to bring some cheese to my brothers. I mean, can you imagine that? And as he brings this cheese to his brothers who are at war, he hears the Philistine shouting these obscenities towards their army and about God And this righteous indignation takes root inside of his heart. And he can't take it. And he says to Saul, and this is quite a bit of scripture, but just stick with me, 1 Samuel 17. And Saul said to David, and he says, I want to go fight him. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. For you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, And and it took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord will be with you. See, God saw everything that David was doing in private. And God sees everything that you're doing in private. And there's going to be a moment, you don't have to try to work your way there, there's going to be a moment where all of these spiritual disciplines, where all of these giftings that you've harnessed in are going to meet at this critical juncture in your life and you're going to have to step out in faith. But the, the, the problem with youth often is that we try to circumvent God's plan and get ahead of Him. So we get a word Right, That you're going to be the king of Israel and you say, okay, well, this is the perfect opportunity to do it. But then God calls you over here and then God brings you over here and then God may call you back over here. Now you're further away from the thing that God spoke to your heart than when you originally started. So you start to question because you're leaning on your natural eyes and your natural senses and you say, no, 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 God, you got to have this all Mix up because you called me to do this, and now you're calling me all the way here. How could you anoint me king, and then have me go watch sheep right after that? But David was a man after God's own heart, who learned the power of humility in those fields, so he was waiting on God to set him in place, and as a result, he was prepared when an entire army was hiding behind. Rocks, And so what I want to do with you is share a few things that can, that can zap your momentum and bring you back to where God is calling you to, from, where God is calling you to. And so I'm going to share a few things to be vigilant and to be on guard for. Number one, the critics. You have to be careful of how much credence and how much power you give other people. The Bible says that God has set us free, and who has been set free is free indeed. Part of that freedom is the opinion, is is the praise and rejection of man. You no longer live for the praise and rejection of man. It simply doesn't have any stronghold or foothold in your life because you recognize that you, you live your life for the audience of one. So no man can tear you down and no man can build you up. And that, my friends, is absolute freedom. Here is Saul looking at David saying, you're but a youth. He's looking down on him. His brothers were far worse than that. Listen to this. When Elab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So here's David coming out of a heart of humility, of delivering cheese. He comes upon this act and his brothers, who should be supporting him and encouraging him, are jealous of him and they start to critique his life and they start to hurl accusations. I don't know if any of you can relate to being placed in a position possibly in your family, possibly in your career, where other team members or family members began to make up things about you, began to start that big rumor wheel, like the Wheel of Fortune, you know, like, come on down, and we get the big swing. And they start this rumor about you, and before you know it, everybody's heard it. But we don't live for the approval or the rejection or the praise of men. We live for the audience of one. So we have to be above those things. uh, Actually, Watchman Nee says this. Many times, men criticize us when we actually are following the Lord. Outside, praise or criticism is inconsequential. But the testimony of our quickened conscience is momentous. It does not matter what men and women say about you, only what the Lord has spoken over your life. Number two, and this is a big one, and I'll probably end on this, is distractions. If the enemy can't destroy you, he will distract you. In fact, you need to have the mindset, especially as you cultivate new spiritual disciplines in your life, that distractions are going to come at you daily. On a daily level, it's like the enemy's number one tactic is to try to distract and deceive. Distract and deceive because he really doesn't have any power. So his power is to fool you or his power is to divert your attention away from what God has called you to give your attention to. And this is played all throughout scripture. And David finds himself in this place when he's at the top of his kingdom and he looks down on Bathsheba. He distracts him, right? And so we have to be vigilant to make sure that we eliminate these distractions. And can I just tell you, there really is no silver bullet. There is not just one sweeping thing that you can come. You have to understand that the enemy is going to come at you. One thing, he's defeated, but he's going to come at you full full tilt. And so distractions also can often show us where we've cultivated bad habits. So in other words, there are things that would distract you that wouldn't distract me. Because I just don't have a habit of doing those things. I have no appetite for those things. I have no, I've given no attention to those things. But for you, it could be like kryptonite. And there may be something for me. So maybe it is, let's just say hypothetically Marvel movies. I'm a, I'm a sucker for Marvel movies. I have to watch everything they put out on Marvel. And so a new series comes out when I know that the Lord has really called me to a season of like fasting and consecration. And I could probably watch it some other time, but I don't. I don't like other people watching it before me because they might slip and share something that I haven't seen. So I got to watch it before them, but I'm neglecting this thing that God has called me to. What that is, is a distraction, and the enemy is specifically putting that distraction in your peripheral view because he knows that you have a proclivity towards those things. In other words, it's kind of a bad habit that you have, and so the enemy's going to kind of lean on that. Whereas somebody else, you might be like, Marvel who? I don't even know who that is. I have no interest in that whatsoever, but it might be different for you. So we have to be aware that the enemy is going to try to distract them. Another thing, as you go on this journey of distractions that's typically highlighting areas that you've cultivated bad habits, we have to make we have to understand um, that you can't just uproot those things. You have to see what's actually fueling them. So why do I have a proclivity towards this? Why am I drawn to this? I have to do the deep work of root taking out the roots to get this distraction, to get this bad habit, to get this weed out of my life, or it's simply going to sprout back up. I love how John Piper said this. He said, have you ever noticed it rarely gives us clear practical, speaking of the Bible, how-tos? And he says, why is that? One reason I believe is that our behaviors are driven by divergent and complex factors. And so formulas are typically of marginal help. What helps me may not help you that much. But another reason is that the difficult process of wrestling through ambiguities and internal resistance and confusion is part of the training itself. We learn necessary things about our affections, our weaknesses, and our bodies. The difficult process ends up yielding benefits of increased faith, wisdom, and perseverance, that extend far beyond just the issue of distraction. In other words, we want how-tos, we want a silver bullet, we want to go through a seminar and be rid of these things, but there is an individual journey that each and every single one of us must take to find out why and how these things have taken root inside of our life. And it is then and only then, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we uproot those things, that we will discover true freedom. And that we'll be free to be able to plant those new spiritual disciplines that aren't competing with the weeds that have grown in our life. And so I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. And I'm going to end with this um, scripture. I'm going to ask you to stand. I know what I've shared today has been a, a little bit kind of, has felt that it's all over the place, but I really sensed in my heart there were specific things that people needed to hear inside of this congregation. And it's so important that we view our journey with the Lord as a walk, that we are moving, that we're not standing still. Faith without works is dead. It's not a sprint, it's an endurance race. And God promises to be with us every single step of the way. Jeremiah 6.16 says this, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your soul. I think some of us, our souls feel tired. And it's because in this world, we're taught to chase trends, fads, diets, fashion, careers, finances, titles, relationships. We weren't meant to live like that. We're always looking for the new when God has laid out the path, which may feel ancient before us. And he promises to light that path because he says that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet. I used to wrestle with that scripture because I wish it said like a lighthouse. I want to be able to see a mile ahead. But you know, a lamp just shows you about four steps ahead. And then when you get to that fourth step, you have four more steps. And I believe God worded that intentionally because into the equation, we have to have faith to walk with him. If we relied on being able to see a mile ahead, then we would just rely on our natural senses. And God wants us to walk through this life close to him. And I want to give this opportunity that some of you may be here because somebody drug you here. Some of you may be here um, because you've been coming to church your whole life. But as I was opening up the scripture, you say, truth be told, I don't really have a relationship with God. I have never heard God's voice. I don't know how God speaks to me. I want to step into everything that he has for me. I want to know his plans for my life. And if that's you in this room. I want to share this with you that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, it says you will be saved. It doesn't say you might, it doesn't say you could, it doesn't say magic eight ball, shake it. Strong likelihood of it says you will be saved. But that word Lord is not a word we use very often. It means that he has supreme ownership word savior is recorded in scripture 36 times lord over seven thousand. where do you think god is putting his emphasis it means that you let go of living your life the way that you see it with your natural eyes and you trust his word and in that beautiful exchange of giving up your rights so to speak and opening up your heart to him he gives you his eyes And he gives you his ears and he gives you his grace and he gives you his wisdom and he gives you his provision and you lack in no area. And so if that's you in this room and you say, I want to make a decision today to commit my life to Christ, I just want you to raise your hand and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. I was in a room much like this one. Well, if we're all good, I'm going to pray for each and every single one of you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you for the path that you've set before them, the dreams, the destiny, the calling that you've placed on the inside of them. And I pray that they would invite you in to helping them excavate that purpose. That they would be able to see the steps formulating in front of them that you would identify and bring into the forefront things that have been dragging them down, lies that have been spoken over them, and that they would uproot those, removing the stronghold over their lives. Father, I pray that this would be a year that they hear your voice clearer than ever before, that they experience your love greater than they've ever experienced it before. And that, Father, through every action performed and every word spoken in their life, that you would receive all the glory and all the honor. Father, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.